Hello, I'm Oliver Sykes, and welcome back to Politibabble. I'm joined by my most splendid of co-hosts. Archibald Elliot. Yes, that's right, we are back for another week. Uh, creeping along in Season 7, uh, we've actually recorded a quite a few uh podcasts over the past couple of weeks now we're sort of getting back into the rhythm of our podcasting um so yes hello archie how are you how's everything with you well i'm very good oliver and we as you said we're back into the realms and the habit of podcasting regularly but i'm then going to be away uh, in lovely hopefully sunny cornwall but knowing the british weather it will be rainy and dismal so uh, we're going to have to break that habit unless Oliver comes back to your wonderful ears as he may well do perhaps with a little something in between perhaps I may do indeed I'll I'll, I'll have to get thinking about that now uh but I I do have actually another performance coming up soon so maybe I might I might not be able to but um hopefully we will keep keep in the swing of things but um hope you get some Cornish clotted cream uh I, I wonder I bet that'll be jam first for you will it or no, no, I'm very much cream first. Ah, very good, yeah, very good, very good. The proper way, the only way. Um, very good. I, I'm very glad to hear that. So, Archie, please tell us more about what we will be discussing today. Well, as you might have guessed, uh, listeners, from the title of the podcast, we're discussing that 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 very, as some say, complex, some say simple, but the ever pressing issue of dictatorships and. A constitution in our modern world. So we're on our usual quest to discover the best of the best systems. And we, we discuss the flaws of democracy and the flaws of everything. So why not the flaws uh, and perhaps benefits of a dictatorship? And also the slow move towards things that so often leads us towards these dictatorship style of governance. Those small nudges that we, I think, talked about uh, I can't remember which episode we were talking about. It was it. Oh, it's a slippery slope. I've forgotten the actual name I discussed. Just creeping normality. Creeping that, normality. Yes. Yes, it's a very interesting topic. One that sort of, I think the main thing with our with the podcast, um, which we tend to often do, is things. And this is the main sort of thing about politics is is everything that governs us so things interlink we like to come back to certain topics we like to sort of keep sort of discovering more and i think the main thing about this this podcast for us is that you know things change you know archie's views on something may change my views on something may change it changes during the podcast and i think oliver's views may become correct yeah okay uh, like but but i think this is the main and i think this is the main thing for our for our listenership as well is that we provide sort of uh, a platform for for views and we look at different views and i suppose it just uh, the one thing i like about this every week or every time we go and do it is that it makes it makes you think you know it, yes, it makes yes. you consider approaches and i think that's a really useful thing um so yes so um archie what is a dictatorship first and the best thing about this is we break down sort of well, we, we, we try we, to break down we try to break down things from 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 sort of scratch and then we'll go into a bit more detail and stuff and for me it's 
well, with Archie and his great knowledge, it's kind of a it's kind of a lesson for me from week to week. But anyway, enough of my ramblings. He's, he's setting me up to fail here with with his uh, uh, obtuse flattery. Yeah, um, but on on the terms of what a dictatorship is, we may be more used to in our modern world this idea of a dictatorship being a one party state per se. But that the idea of a dictatorship, as we'll, I think we'll go on to discuss, is even is our democracy a quasi-dictatorship. What really classes as that dictatorship? Because we take a standard definition, which would be the power is concentrated in the hands of one person or very small group of people. And they generally rule over us. But we have different types of dictatorships. Mm. We have the likes of a military dictatorship where we, the military very much rule the country. And this happened uh, a bit through Africa as well in the decolonial, the post-colonial period. But we also have those almost more uh, larger than life uh, dictatorships. Um, may I think I think Stalin's a great example there, or even Chairman Mao. They're made up to be this deity, and then we could even argue is a is a, is a form of of monarchy. It's mm. an absolute monarchy classed as a form of a dictatorship. So all these things always move in into this idea of what a dictator is. We see even in Roman times, dictators still existed in forms of a uh, special magistrate who held uh, it was, it was quite well-defined powers. So it wasn't so broad as a dictator we might see today is. Uh, normally for about six months. But now we see dictators, if you look at states which are one party, I shan't name them, so we shan't get hacked by any of the wonderful states. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that with a wonderful, in quotation marks. So that's kind of where we sit. Oliver, I'm interested to hear your first thoughts on what do you think of a dictatorship? Well, I think I I, I want to sort of pick up on the absolute monarchy kind of thing. Mm. Well, the, the thing with is it's kind of the, the absolute monarchy. It's passed down, isn't it? You can't control, you know, the, whereas um, what, am, what am I trying to say here is the yeah, a dictatorship it, you've gained the power, whereas... The, Not necessarily. If we look yeah. at, uh, for example, North Korea, where we have the Kim family ruling. Ah, yes. It's still passed down. It's a dynasty. Yes. Uh, still. Oh, yes, I suppose so. So that's... It, what it, would that be described as, then? An absolute dictatorship, would it? <laughs> well, it, 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 the thing is, it all... It, it comes down to the definitional... It comes down to almost a definitional debate. And I... I did quite a bit of world school debating in that style, and you always, we always hated having to have a definitional debate. I've had one once on um, this house um, supports a global basic wage, and there was disagreements over what classed as a global basic wage. Some people thought it was a mandated set wage, others thought it was a almost a form of UBI. And going into that, it was very clear that the proposition who created, if you know, well, it's mm. a proposition of three in opposition of three, speaker one, speaker two, speaker three, and then a summary. But the proposition put forth a very disagreeable, um, an unreasonable definition of a global basic wage. And effectively, we had to argue as the opposition in both terms of their definition, but create a new definition to put forth our arguments, but we have to rebut on their definition, and it comes into a very messy form of debate. Yeah. So it would probably be good to get down to defining what we mean by a dictatorship. So I'll take it as meaning the 
power is centralized yeah. in one person or a small grouping yeah. of people. But then that that's again that's in a general sense, but things can be like dictatorships, mm. but not dictatorships proper as such. Yeah. I mean from my point of view and and a a, a good thing perhaps of and I know you sort of you've we we're sort of talking about are they are they moral and everything like that. My my one thing that is sort of good about them is that an agenda can be driven and can be complete you know completed it gives them obviously they don't necessarily have a mandate Mm. but they have the ability to actually get stuff done which is a good in a good way until then the uh, yeah if it's it's a political dictator the military decides oh we want to go yeah and then they launch a military coup as happens so often and then dispatches with the president or the the, uh, glorious supreme leader yeah um so we actually we we did discuss in our wonderful thought experiments that we do. We discussed one. With we'll have three, a new one this we, week. We'll have a new one this week. We discussed one, if you remember, uh, launching our casting our minds back of the free speech booth. Right. Yes. Do you remember the free yeah. speech booth? Yes. That, oh, it that, was where th- you can yes, be yes. say something, and even only in the, in booth, the booth. Yeah. But outside, oh no! But in the booth, you can say anything you like. It was uh, quite an interesting one. But I do, I do, dig- I do digress. I think from our idea of a dictatorship. But you, you mentioned there, and I think it's, it is pertinent. We have that if a dictator has that ability, as I just hit the mic. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Archie, yes, for yes. for doing that. <laughs> yeah, you're very, very welcome, Oliver. Um, they do have the ability to get stuff done, in theory, mm. and that isn't so. Um, it, it isn't represented so much in our political system here, especially in America. Yeah. Where it's very much yeah. like a pendulum. It's like a metronome. Yeah. It's left, right, left, right. And they doesn't call it, it's, it's, uh, they have the umbrella kind of, um, you know, so, there's so much goes under, but there's so, it's so polarizing. But I think, I think on the Isle of Man, it's kind of, they sometimes see the chief minister as a bit of a dictator, don't they? In some ways, because yeah. in terms of, they're the, the only person who can really get stuff, they have to, Get their cap. They have to get their council of ministers to agree with them, and then the rest of the because we have so many independents on the Isle of Man and the political parties are not particularly strong yes. or don't provide enough. They will be stronger if they provide enough candidates. And you know, but there's there's one thing which is really interesting yeah. about the Isle of Man system. If the chief minister for the past few uh, administrations always seems to be a member of the prior administration. Yes. So Alf Which Cadden is was, odd because how, the past yeah, exactly. the, the, in the last administration four of the ministers didn't get didn't well one of them didn't seek re-election. Yes. They became the president with the but presiding But they agreed with their prior administration's yeah. policy. So it raises the question does anything actually get done? Yeah. Or is it all following the same sort of agenda? Yeah. And the weird thing is is they changed the name of their agenda, don't they? So it so it used to be called the program for government. Now they call it the island plan. I wonder what it'll be called in the next administration. The plan, the plan for the island, or something. Yeah, like that. or the the future. Make Manx make uh, make Manx great again. Yeah, well, yeah. That, no, no, no. Yeah. It wouldn't be because Manx is already great. I do, I do forget that. Make Manx greater. Yes. Or more greater yes. to use the uh, local grammar. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, but it, it does raise an interesting point. How on the Isle of Man, things like do are di- it's difficult mm. for them to actually come to a. It's like the Isle of Plan. Surely, it it takes so 
surely you'd think that the government, because the government have been elected, mm. why do they have to go and consult the other members so much? And this is the th- one thing, is that they have so many workshops and stuff to sort of get the plethora of views. But surely the Alaman government is elected and shouldn't have to do so many consultations. They're elected. They've got the mandate from the people to de- deliver. So um, should we turn into the uh, Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, uh, where they have their annual party conference and they discuss such matters? Well, I believe that views should be inputted, and obviously the, the electorate are right to have an input because they elected these people. But sh- but this is the difficult thing with independence is because they sort of have to form this coalition kind of thing. And it's it's difficult, isn't it, for things... And this yeah, is why is. on the Isle of Man, things take so long because there's so much to get through in terms of debate and, you know, proposals and everything like that. It takes a while. Indeed. Um, but yeah, I just I, I thought that'd be an interesting point to raise. But would you would you say Oliver, there's such thing as a benevolent dictator? Could you could you uh, could you uh, elaborate on on benevolence? Benevolence. So a kind dictator, almost, almost the the good form of a dictator. If a dictator can be. Good. All right. Yes. Yes. I totally understand. Goes and yeah. acts in the interests of the people yeah. for the people. Uh, I don't necessarily... Oh, it's a difficult... Yeah, I don't really think so. Um, yeah. You couldn't imagine you would be happy under a benevolent dictator? No, I don't think so, because I probably would disagree. I would probably be... I'd probably be... Unless they had the same views as I did, I think I would disagree. Well, I, I'll point to an example. Yeah, in, yeah go ahead. In go ahead. Su- sub-Saharan Africa, the wonderful country which I do like to read about, Cote d'Ivoire, and they had their... Post independence leader after independence from France of Felix of Boigny. And he was. I feel was... like the, this gentleman's been mentioned and or Cote d'Ivoire's been mentioned multiple times on the podcast. This is a favourite of yours. Well, it's a good if, example. If, if you're a historical listener, name the, this is your chance. Name for a wonderful prize of zero pounds, zero pence, the number of times I've mentioned Cote d'Ivoire. There you are, it's a challenge for you all. Uh, Felix of Boigny, anyway. He was known quite affectionately as like the sage of Africa, the grand old man of Africa, the uh, the old one, Le Vieux, or Papa Ophoi. Um, so he was quite affectionately known amongst his people. And they viewed him almost as this sort of deity. He was almost deified, much like Mao was. Except, unlike Mao, there wasn't a o- overly necessity for propaganda here. He was their independence figure, the man who brought them independence. And for the most of his rule, which was one party, and it was as a dictatorship, arguably, even though they had elections, he had, but he had a massive popular support. And it is possible, some think, that regardless of those elections were rigged or not, that he would have actually achieved the very, very high percentages that he did. Because he was genuinely relatively popular amongst the people so he could be seen i think as an example arguably until his last term of five years when he made Mm. a botched attempt to bring in a two-party system and then squandered away the cocoa development fund on building a palace in the jungle until he did that uh and uh, i'll I'll go on to that story in a minute Yeah, yeah he was almost viewed as this this sort of benevolent man and i think he ruled for about 35 to 40 years, something like that. Wait, um, 30, 33 years, sorry. Wow, that's that's fairly impressive. And I, su- I sort of suppose if you do, you know, it's a difficult one. I suppose it just generally depends on 
on, on a lot of things. I suppose if, yeah, I think I think a dictator in a in a larger country, uh, especially like the UK, would be extremely hard for it to happen. But somewhere on the Isle of Man, I think a dictator is possibly could be possible. I I, I don't know what your thoughts on that. You, well, a dictator can be possible yeah, anywhere. Yeah, arguably. but easier in a smaller jurisdiction, perhaps. Well, smaller jurisdictions always have this sort of interesting style of politics, Mm. especially very, very small. So we talk about smaller than the Isle of Man because everyone knows everyone. Yeah. So it very much is. Even the Isle of Man had similar politics, less, I think, so now, but it certainly did and it still does in some cases. It's very much, oh, I know the bloke. Yeah. He worked in the the post office, who worked in the chemist, who worked in the grocers. Oh, yes, I know the bloke. Fabulous bloke. Or my my friend... Uh, Johnny here, he he knows the guy. Or he's you're great. related he to him. He says he's a great or, fellow. Yeah. Or it's my 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 my, uh, my uncle's son. Yes, yes, he's wonderful. And that sort of sort of we we this is, again, it's a, it's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah. But if you trust the person, I think that's that's how voting is done. But in the UK, you're less likely to actually know your MP on that certain level because yeah. you've got a electorate Which of hundred thousand people. Which is why you're voting people. for the party. You know, you're yes. voting for the party kind of thing. Uh, I suppose that you know that's in in the United States. You're voting for the candidate. They they are they're a member of the party. And in the in the in the United States, you have to be a lot more of a personality, don't mm. you, to be a a, a politician? Uh, oh, but there, yeah. oh, we can. I think we'll digress onto American political ads. Oh, have you seen? they um, works you, of art. Have you seen? Uh, it's obviously coming up to the midterm elections, or yes, it's just yes. about to be. Uh, and a while back, there was a promotional video by a, la- a lady called Linda Paulson, who was standing for the Senate in District 12 of, uh, uh, oh, I don't, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uha? Utah. 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 God, I knew it was You have that. a good memory. You've, um, it's because it's a great video. Anyway, uh, she does a rap. She does a rap, and this lady's probably around. Is she, she Democratic? She is Republican. Oh, dear. So she goes. Hello, my name is Linda Paulson, Republican and awesome. I love God and the family and the Constitution. <laughs> and it's incredible. Um, I expected better coming from the Republican Party. Yeah. But then, I suppose, yes. Yeah, uh, District 12, U- yeah, District 12, Utah. Yes, yes. Phenomenal. Linda Paulson, shout out to you, Linda. Hope you do well. <laughs> yes, we know she's a... I'll have to play it. Listener but I think podcast. my version was just as good, if not better. Well, if you can, yes, if you can find Shall it. I, I'll try. I'll try. I should talk it. about the Cocoa Development you do, Fund. You go ahead, Archie. You go. So ahead. yes, the Cocoa Development Fund uh, for for Cote d'Ivoire was, was an interesting thing. It was set up. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire's main production, its main natural resource, was that of cocoa, and it was set up to maintain prices and maintain farmers' subsidies when the prices were low. But obviously, it all when they sold it at the set price. The excess went into the fund to bottom out or put it back into the system when the price of cocoa, world cocoa, dropped. And this was supposed to be the fund. But then uh, it went, the president went along and squandered this fund, some of it going uh, 300-odd million on the Belasco. This uh, candidate in Utah is oh, getting founded. a lot of buzz for how she announced she's running for the Senate with the rap video. It's playing, yes. Oh, I will come back to it, yes. Hey, Utah District 12, listen up right here. There's a new name on the ballot for the Senate this year. 
My name is Linda Paulson, Republican and awesome. Love God and family and the Constitution. I tried to get another conservative to run. Nobody could do it, so I'm getting it done. I'm pro-religious freedom, pro-life, pro-police. The right to bear arms and the right to free speech. I want less government control and regulation want to stop and expose all political corruption where is integrity morality accountability government programs should lead to self-sufficiency and support traditional family as the fundamental unit of society this candidate in utah is getting a lot of buzz for how she announced she's running for the senate with the rap video so there you go that is linda paulson who is standing uh, for district 12 i i i feel as though she's just got sort of uh, political terms book and or you know uh, look, look through what what should I look for in a, in a U.S. politician and just sort of you know right I'll make a rap out of this. <laughs> Did you enjoy? Yeah, it was interesting. I must say. <laughs> um, oh yes, but coming back to the yes, uh, of course. Sorry to interrupt. Yes, yes on the, that. the, the cocoa fund. So effectively, there was an economic crisis in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and prices have been on a downward trend throughout the 1980s. Toss your mind back to 1980, far before I was born. And there was just far too much cocoa on the market. And if you apply the general knowledge of supply and demand, when there's too much supply, when there's demand hasn't increased, the price decreases. So the bottom fell out of the cocoa markets. Um, so, for example, countries such as Indonesia, Brazil, uh, Nigeria were all pushing hard to increase their share by lowering their prices and expanding the amount of cocoa they put out in the market to kind of stabilise their economies. But Coke d'Ivoire couldn't produce any more because it was one of the world's foremost producers of cocoa. It's, a, it's an interesting natural resource, cocoa. It's uh, grown almost, it's, it's grown gold. So, the chocolate manufacturers chose the cheapest, of course, and Foie Boigny wasn't really wanting to be moved on his price. He liked his price, he was set at the price, and he promised to pay his farmers at a good price. And he continued to pay the farmers what he promised, with the government making a loss. And they were supposed to have this um, fund set aside to help cover this. And he was defiant. He continued shoveling more and more cocoa, predicting that an upturn was inevitable, but the prices slid further and further. So, effectively, the grand ma- old man of cocoa, he thought he could never be wrong. He continued on this course. And eventually, in 88, he boycotted the cocoa markets, withholding 40% of the crop with a flourish, and they would sell no cocoa except at the price that he decided. Um, basically, it was if you look to OPEC in the modern world, who'd set most of the world's oil prices. Oh right, yeah. He was attempting the sort of OPEC um, cartel style of fixing cocoa prices. So we're talking about cocoa here, not natural resources, not your gold, not your diamonds. We're talking about cocoa, that very important ingredient that goes oh, into yes. your cabri bars and. Oh, I'm and a the big like. fan of chocolate and uh, cocoa and hot oh, yes. cocoa as well. Oh, so lovely, he stopped payments on foreign debt, about 12 billion. Uh, they gave up on him. They had no further capacity to sell the crop or buying the crop. And effectively, he had to surrender. He had to slash the prices. But he was very much nearly bankrupt by it. Um, yes. Goodness. And he, he didn't like it because he'd spent, he'd over leveraged himself on 
on building his uh, 500 million pound uh, redevelopment of his homeland. Goodness. So there, there you are. That's a bit about Coco. Wow, very interesting. I have to say, big fan of, of chocolate I am. So, um, you know, Coco is very important to mm. me. I'm just gazing out to the into the bay on this sunny afternoon. I th- uh, thought I'd break up the programme with a little interlude. Um, and there's a really... Str- I can't tell whether that's reflection of the sun or a really strange vessel in the bay. I can't seem to tell. doesn't seem to be moving. Anyway, the RA... Is it the RF? I can't remember what it's called. The Arrow, anyway, which is the Alamance freight ship, is in the harbour. And there's been mm. a bit of a debate on how the government gets hold of that and how uh, how they're going to... what they're going to do when the Manxman, which is going to be the new vessel, comes into uh, comes into to play uh, in the next uh, year or less than a year now. Should hopefully, when we have our new ferry terminal, and should be, it's coming from South Korea. And it's going to be a lot bigger and a lot better than our current main vessel, That's the, right. the Ben McCree. I got, I got my terms slightly wrong. It's the Cocoa Stabilisation Fund, which is a fund to stabilise the internal cocoa prices in volatile times. Right. Not Ar- the development fund. Archie, can you see out the window and uh, sort of where my head is? Look towards the sort of big building on sort of... Yes, yes. Yeah. Is that, are they waves over there or a, sh- or a ship? It, I can't tell. It looks... I've not got binoculars. There's binoculars in one of the studios, so oh. I've got, yes, no, no hope. Yeah, I can't tell whether it's waves. It may be waves, but I think it might be. If it is, if it isn't, it's very strange-looking vessel. But it looks as though, I don't know whether you can tell, it looks as though it's not too far away from, like, it, it's quite far away from the cliffs. Anyway, anyway we, that we, was, we, that was that a we, short interlude. We digress. We should go back to the idea of dictatorship, the alternative to democracy, and whilst I was thinking about dictatorships, I, I, I always I always turn to the criticism of democracy, because it is almost an antithesis, almost, of democracy. So I think we should turn to Plato, Plato's uh, Republic, where he criticises democracy. I'm not sure, have you come across much of Plato's Republic, Oliver? I haven't, I haven't, uh, actually, uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I am interested, though, in... in... So we see, for example, in Book 6 of Plato's Republic, um, where he uses an analogy of a ship's navigation. He contests that, he argues that basically we're in a ship and should we we elect the captain of the ship by popular vote? Do you think that would be a good idea, Oliver, to elect the captain of the ship you're sailing on by a popular vote? Uh, And so... Sorry, and uh, and so this captain could be any of the the members on on the vessel. Yes, it's just a, it's just a popular vote. Well, I'm sure in this day and age that we'd be looking towards a captain with the correct qualifications and experience. Um, so perhaps if there were several members of this crew, that a selection of five of them that did have the correct qualifications and experience, then I would look to popularly elect them, uh, mainly based on the idea of perhaps. Uh, trust, you know, uh, we recently not saw a vessel run into the Isle of Man's uh, shoreline because uh, they were coming around the the uh, north coast, the north uh, the northeast coast of the Isle of Man towards the Point of Air, which only sits about twenty miles uh, as the crow flies fr- from uh, Scotland, um, and the ship run aground. 
uh, because one of the crew members or whoever was responsible at the time, I don't think there was many people on board, it was dark and um, one of them had gone to the toilet. And they're bearing in mind, they probably had a little route to go to go around the top of the island. So just imagine like the, like the sort of a spherical kind of shape. And they were obviously on their way to, I think, Ireland or something like that. Anyway, they ran aground, and it was all because of us, uh, because of one of the crew members went to the toilet. So it does go to show that you need a level of trust in there as well. So I would probably be, if I was one of the crew members, I'd be voting for the person who probably has the most experience, the person who's been, uh, who I believe is trustworthy to do so. So I don't think that they should pick uh, from any of any of the crew members. I think it should be from a, from uh, from a particular section. Yes, but the, the thing is, it doesn't always happen like that. So I'll, I'll read from you the, the analogy in proper terms, as Plato puts. Okay. Um, so suppose the following to be the state of affairs on board a ship or ships. The captain is larger uh, and stronger than any of the crew, but a bit deaf and short-sighted, and similarly limited in seamanship. The crew are all quarrelling with each other about how to navigate the ship, each thinking that he ought to be at the helm. They never learnt the art of navigation and cannot say anyone ever taught them or that they spent any time studying it. Indeed, they say it can't be taught and are ready to murder anyone who says it can. They spend all their time milling around the captain and doing all they can to get him to give them the helm. If one faction is more successful than another, their rivals may kill them and throw them overboard, lay out the honest captain with drugs or drink in some other way, take control of the ship, help themselves to what's on board and turn the voyage into some sort of drunken pleasure cruise, as you would expect. Finally, they reserve their admiration for the man who knows how to lend a hand in controlling the captain by force or fraud. They praise his seamanship and navigation and knowledge of the sea and condemn anyone else as useless. They have no idea that the true navigator may stu- must study the seasons of the years, the sky, the stars, the winds and all the other subjects appropriate to his profession, if he is to be really fit to control the ship, and they think it's quite impossible to acquire the professional skill needed for such control, whether or not they want it exercised, and there's no such thing as an art of navigation. With this all going on aboard, aren't the sailors of any such ship bound to regard the true navigator as a word spinner and stargazer of no use to them at all? Yes, they are, uh, Adimantus agreed, I can't pronounce this, this part, this Greek's name. I think you probably understand without any explanation that my illustration is intended to show the present attitude of society towards the true philosopher. Um, then, so this is almost this, 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 this idea that the true philosopher, the one with knowledge, isn't necessarily agreed with by society. Um, so, if we are almost allow the, the ship to be to be taken over, that the true masturbation is almost if democracy doesn't necessarily yield producing the best captain because it's a metaphorical ship. So we may be talking about it and we may say we want someone with the knowledge, but the ship's just a metaphor. If you're a person on that ship and you don't regard the knowledge needed to sail the ship as knowledge needed to sail the ship, that you disregard the need for navigation, you disregard the need for uh, knowing the stars, because remember this is the day before we had GPS and so forth Fair in the modern world. If we don't regard that, can we choose the best person to captain the ship? 
Uh, no, I don't think we can. So therefore, it would come down to a popular vote. Yes, well, yeah, that, yeah, that, that's, yeah. That, that's why I think yes. the popular so, vote yeah, is yeah. a flaw, as Plato argues. Yeah. The popular vote is a flaw because these are the sailors. The sailors aren't wanting the captain who has the knowledge yeah. and the ability to steer the ship who knows the seasons. It's almost, he views philo- philosophers as something maybe different than we view philosophers. Right. I'll, I'll, give, a, I'll give an example. The philosopher... Uh, is, I think this is the translator uh, explaining it here because Plato's views is it's, it's interesting how the Greeks wrote. Um, okay. But basically, the philosopher is the man who loves uh, wisdom uh, in the widest sense, including especially learning, knowledge, and truth. To explain this, Plato has to bring his own philosoph- philosophical beliefs, in particular his theory of forms. So basically, it takes a wide variety of understanding. But effectively, he we're, it's almost arguing here on. A uh, epistemic, uh, epistemic, um, or is epistocracy, epistocracy, which is a type of almost uh, technocrats, so a very similar thing. Uh, It's the rule of the knowledgeable over the rule of the masses. um, Is effectively what he argues. He believes that philosophers should rule, almost as these philosophers' kings who really loves that idea of this knowledge and the search for true reality. So, if you look in democracy, for example, there's an interesting, um, I was reading about this, there's an interesting example pointed to Michael Gove, um, of which we all uh, know, or I'd expect. We all know and love. Yes. Michael Gove, who refused to name any of the economists who would back um, Brexit, uh, in the Brexit election of 2016, <laughs> and he said, "This country, this people in this country, have had enough of experts." Right. That's but then, but, that, but that's the sense we maybe get into when we see sometimes the rise of dictatorships. They've had, they say, say people have had too long of listening to these unelect, uh, these officials are unelected, and that's how the, the dictators get in. We've had far too long of listening to the wealthy. We need a man of the people, and and stuff like that. <laughs> so you, I, I, I see um, Plato's criticism of democracy uh, of having some merit. I won't comment on whether I agree or not, I'm not yet sure on that myself, but I would say it certainly has some merit. Well, what, what do you think, Oliver? On the basis of... Uh, Plato's argument that we need uh, n- almost philosopher kings, a person with the knowledge uh, taking taking the helm of the ship, being the captain. Yeah, I, I'm not particularly... Uh, I'm not t- particularly sure on that. Whether I agree with it. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I move. I'm, I leave you listeners to to think over that. But we move into democracy. I think this is a bit of a topic that's closer to home. Is our two party system a form of dictatorship? Because once we have limited yeah. choice, we're limited in our options. We're not told there's fifty different options. We're told there's two options: red or blue, and occasionally yellow. But yellow never gets in, so we have red or blue, and. That's they're, they're sort of they're not overly different between the two. There's a lot of overlap. We like to point out in politics that there's oh they're going to kill the country. They're socialist communists. Oh they're they're very right wing uh, conservatives mm. who want to trash the working man. But actually the dichotomy because they're both centre right and centre left respectively. 
There's still relative amount of overlap. I yeah. think, at least. Oh yeah. Would you would would we think that's something sort of a democracy? Oh, no, what? Um, yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would agree with that in, in to some sense. Um, but uh, I, I do believe that you know, third. I mean, yeah, yeah. That that's all I have to say, really. <laughs> well, I suppose if we go back to our original definition. Yeah. That, uh, dictatorship is one or a small number of group of people holding the power. If you looked at the House of Commons, for example, yeah, six hundred odd. MPs, yeah, as it was as a proportion of the country, they're an incredibly small group. Yeah, you can fit them all in the chamber. They're an incredibly small group. Which is, I was watching. Can I just interrupt mm. here? I don't. Have you ever been to the House of Commons inside? Not in. No, no, no. no. Um, and there was a video, and I remember one of my old politics teachers who um, who left after a short period to take up a position in Ireland. Anyway, uh, he commented on how. When we were looking at sort of uh, the start, he was talking about the House of Commons, and he said how small it is on the inside. Mm. And you always see because of the where the gallery is for the media. Yes. You always have a very uh, wide angle shot. Uh, I saw a TikTok yesterday because over this weekend it's the uh, Youth Parliament sitting in the in the House of Commons, um, and they had a the familiar TikTok sound, which is what on earth is going on in the House of Commons? And they had that overlapping and they had a video of them sat on the front benches. And crikey, you might as well be from me to Archie is, you know, the dis. I mean, it's probably a little bit bigger, just a little bit, maybe me towards the air, like me moving back a bit. And then obviously you've got where the, um, the clerks are, that sort of table and everything. But it really is quite small. Yeah, so it it must be crammed in there sometimes. But you think also you think that it's really steep and like wide apart the the where the the opposition benches rack up. It's not. It really is quite small in there. I could have said that I could have just said the House of Commons is quite small on the inside, but I wanted to give a bit more You know when Jacob was wrestling. Oh yes, yes when he was lying down. It's actually very common in the chamber before television cameras went in yeah. for politicians to put their feet up in long debates yeah. on the table. Yeah. Very, very, very common because it's only when public cameras went in they thought, oh, we can't really do this because of public image. But obviously he was actually lying back because he was listening because they have built-in they speakers. Do, yeah. yes. They have like little House of Commons logo kind of thing or whatever it is and then speakers built into the benches. That's actually why he was lying back. But like you say on the in the Isle of Man in there in the in Timwald and the same for the House of Keys the, it would be so good if they had spinny chairs or something in there because you can move them into the desk and when you're sat there you're sat like the the the, the depth or the, the, the width of the, the chair from its front to its to where the, the backrest is so so look big and then your distance to your desk you've got to always sit up you've got no back support because you're always sat because you know if you're small or whatever you've not got long legs it's, but, it's but annoying I, isn't if it I'm working at a desk, surely you'd want parliament in, to be more comfortable if, I'm, you work, know. if i'm working at a desk I, I generally don't sit back in my chair true true but i do i sit like this oh i i will sit i will sit forward. you always sit but it's not good for your posture, Archie. It is. It's perfect straight back. Chairs are actually the uh, really bad. They, they are arguably bad for your posture because they they make your backs collapse. But if you sit up in a chair, it's much if you play. I, I play cello, and you you have to sit up with straight back. You you don't touch the chair back. That's um, mm. awful. 
Posture. Do you also sit on a stool sometimes, or are you not? Is that sort of a double I base? I, I'm not yeah. a double base. No. Ah, right, right, um, right. But I, I, I was going to bring in wokeism, but I think we need a whole episode on wokeism with someone woke on. So if you are woke, uh, or you well, want perhaps, to cast yourself as woke, yeah. do, do, do get in touch. Yes. Yes. We should have a muse, I think, uh, a discussion afterwards to try and find someone woke. But yes, dictatorships. So I'll come to our final question, Oliver. Okay. Our final question. Hopefully I can answer it. Um, dictatorships. Good or bad? I would say, for the most part, they are uh, bad. Um, Why? Because it's not representative of the uh, people. And they are not taking into consideration, you know, the proportion of what's most people would agree on. Um, Interesting. Your thoughts in return? Well, I think it can be good and yes. it can be bad. Uh, uh, yes, a I, benevolent I, dictator, yeah. that's why I would disagree with your yeah, point. Okay, okay. A benevolent dictator, if you're a dictator in the utopian sense of the word, whether it can ever really be achieved, it's much like democracy. Can democracy ever really be achieved? A benevolent dictator, I think, would take into consideration people's how people want to live and how people want to live is controlled by a person but it does also evolve much in our culture because some cultures prefer that person to rule over them take care of this day-to-day government life all of that messy business and allow them to actually live it's almost freeing in some regards but on the whole it's extraordinarily difficult to ensure that the dictator isn't some sort of power-hungry egomaniac or megalomaniac who wants to purely enrich himself at the expense of the people, Uh, unlike dictators who live extraordinarily frugally and wish to simply serve the people. You've got almost those two cents of the word. So it can be bad, it can be good and it can be bad, but I think I would also agree with Plato that democracy is equally flawed uh, in some regards. Very interesting. Um, so what are we going to move on to next, Archie, on our agenda? Well, uh, I've got something on uh, plastic money. Wow, which came was that you? Thought... It was, was that... me. All oh, right, I, I had a panic there. I'm I thought the walls. I thought the walls yes. were going to come crumbling down. If only uh, plastic money. Yes, plastic money. But I think first. Uh, we'll take a break and dip into Isle of Man news, Oliver's favourite section. Okie dokie. Uh, well, I shall. Wokey cokey. Um, I shall get uh, get up some uh, some of our favourite theme tune music in regards to Isle of Man news. Give me one second and just listen to the theme tune whilst uh, I just gather my notes together. So yes, the Isle of Man teachers are confirmed strike action. On top of this, uh, it was the first Douglas fireworks show since the pandemic. The Treasury Minister says talk to your lender amid interest rate increase. And the Isle of Man will have a new Chief Constable next year. On top of this, the relationships with the South Africa, uh, sorry, relationships with South Africa will drive economic growth, says the Isle of Man's Chief Minister. But one teaching union has actually accepted the education pay offer in regards to the strike. So there we have a quick uh, few news stories in regards to Isle of Man, Pol- uh, Isle of Man current affairs. Um, so Archie, um, what are your thoughts? 
Well, to be perfectly honest, Oliver, I didn't. I, I, I've had a, almost a news detox for the last week, so I and has that and has that approved your your well being? Absolutely, yes. Best thing, best thing to want to do. I'm actually next two weeks off as well. <laughs> it's fascinating. I think the news is a. It moves so quickly. The news is an interesting concept, where I think things are now. Thanks, to, we, we should cover an episode on on this. Thanks yeah. to the 24 hour nature of news. Yes. Everything has got to be sensationalised. Everything must be. A, it's a crisis when actually it's uh, the pounds only dropped one percent. Yeah. Oh, it's an absolute. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's just an absolute crisis when actually they're very small and insignificant events in the large scale fabric of our country well yeah funny enough for, mm. for, for me who, who's hoping to go into sort of uh, media or journalism perhaps and, and I've been thinking I've about this I've just destroyed this. Oliver's uh, <laughs> no 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 because I, I, I sort of agree with you in the sense yes, of yes. the sensationalism and mm. funny enough I was watching uh, I shouldn't say this but um, I, I was watching a video of uh, from uh, The Sun and they were doing a day in the life of Prime Minister which I wouldn't I've only watched that Archie actually leaves the building no, I'm back. Uh, he's back. Um, yes, I was actually watching. Yes, it wasn't the Guardian. Fair enough. Um, and I was only watching it because I wanted to know about the day in the life of Prime Minister, and it was with David Cameron. And he was saying that when he listens to the news, he reads the papers, and he says he tr- he doesn't. You he looks at. F- or I was watching someone else. I can't remember what it was about. It was them reading Facebook comments or something, and they only David Cameron will watch the news channels in the morning, and then, he, but he doesn't really. He'll get someone to inform him of anything big happened or anything between you know political leaders or anything like yeah, that yeah. international. But he really doesn't like. He's not a big fan of. Well, he, when he was in power, was not a big fan of watch having the news on twenty four seven because he found it it would probably not do well for himself well it's 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 almost there's there's no need for it to be so 24 7 yeah um i preferred it went to the morning paper and the afternoon paper that was it now they have the 11 o'clock preview and all that jazz anyway yes teachers (laughs) strikes um well it is it isn't their rights to withdraw their labor if they don't feel they're being paid well enough um yeah but the government I think should have sorted this out. Well, the government did offer most recently a thirty percent pay increase. Um, oh, sorry, the education minister says a teaching union's call for thirty percent pay increase are not realistic, uh, and they did put an offer out saying that they would be first time of uh, starting out teachers would be offered instead of twenty four thousand pounds a year starting salary, it would yes. be thirty six thousand pounds. The thing there where I think it is unfair. Uh, in discussions with people in the education sector is the fact that, yes, those new teachers are on that new salary, but they haven't boosted all of the salaries by that amount. Yes. It used to be you work you work up, and the longer you work, then you reach the top salary yeah. of the teacher. But if you're just narrowing the gap between the lowest paid yeah. and the highest paid, it's surely unfair for no... those who've been in the sector But also, it won't the, make the, people's the probably, it probably won't make people stay in the sector, yeah, will it? Because you know what I mean? Um, but no, I do believe that the you know the the teachers uh, work incredibly hard, Indeed. and um, they have the, the, their workload. You know, they're not they do a lot outside of their contracted hours. But I I think the government really should have just should have sorted this. Out. Yeah, they need um, to get it sorted because you know all about this island plan and building a future. They want to retain teachers. Yeah, and you're not and there's not many students going into teaching now because of how their experience has been over the past couple of years. Of you know, crikey, this is how it's been. 
uh, for me, d- would I want to be a teacher? You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, yes. And I think that the government needs to get a hold on this, and I think it should have been a priority of Miss Edges to actually sort this out. It's now going on. It's going to be going on quite a while into the nearly probably into the middle of her tenure. So uh, she needs to 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 get a get a hold on it. I believe. <laughs> well, yes. Well. Uh... If we, is there any other other Manx news you think? Well, the new chief constables aim to continue tackling major organised crime as the Isle of Man has become a significant. Uh, sorry, no, the Isle of Man. Uh, what, did, what does it say here? Sorry, oh, the Isle of Man must become hostile uh, environment for drug traffickers. I thought it were. There's Operation Stronghold or Strongbox. Or yeah, it was. Uh, that was is... just to to do with the Alamans borders reopening. I don't. I think it was yeah, it completed. But, but, but it was very was, successful. That was, that, that was uh, something similar, which I think strong border control is good. Except, have you ever had what happened? You, sorry, sorry. Are you on the steam packet when we go on to the boat? Do you ever find the security a bit odd? Yes. I feel, as I've put in the suggestion box, it's a bit like a quota. They're simply ticking off the numbers. It's not done at all. I'm sorry, Dave. It's just it's just not filling numbers in the box. I'm sorry, but they just literally run their hands down the side. You know the. Um... Yes, I don't feel it's doing a proper job. No, they tell you, oh, step out the vehicle, please. Oh, it's the same on cars. Yeah. Uh, oh. It, it... Oh right. Oh sorry. I'm t- I'm talking oh, about I'm talking car. Ex- passengers. Oh, foot, foot passengers, passengers is, is yeah. Well. It goes through a scanner. But I don't think it's done. It, these things should be discriminatory. I, I'm not being discriminatory as in you should discriminate between people, but it should be discriminatory to those who think look suspicious and those who think don't. That's yeah. the point of if you're having random security as yeah. such. Or it should be truly random. Have you had the car one before? That's yes. Yeah. Or it should be truly random because these are, oh, it's free, yeah, we'll send you there. Oh, it's full, yeah, we'll just send you round. It's not done, it's not like you've got a random number yeah. attached to your boarding pass. You're randomly selected. Pre, prior to going on, and if yeah. you have the number on your boarding pass, well, or your pass, then you have to go for it. That would make more sense. But to me. I think the checks coming into the Isle of Man, they're not. Oh, actually, they're, they're even worse. There are. Sorry, I forgot. I actually had that last time. But they literally go, "Did you? Uh, what are you? But you're not supposed to have a full. Is it? You're not supposed to have a full tank or whatever when you're. What? What is it when you? Um, I don't believe you're allowed to have a full tank when you're driving or whatever. They're like, oh, what fuel have you... You know, because you're not allowed to bring in certain fuels and stuff like that. And uh, they're just... They weren't even... They didn't even really check there in the UK. They well, didn't have as many checkers. Mm. Um, it's all part of the world going to pot. But they said the oh, Man yes. was going to have a border force. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't understand that why. That was Howie's big thing. Was outside, getting to the end of COVID, they were going to have a big board force thing, yes. but that never. Well, we do have something on borders uh, in the UK. Yeah. Sweater Braverman. Yes. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I believe that, uh, that uh, well, I'd just like to say that uh, they've now, the BBC are reporting that it was the Dover migrant ascent attack was driven by right wing ideology, says the police. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's, I believe it's very serious, and um, I believe it's. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard about the. It's at Manston, and that they've allowed too many people into the the centre. I was talking more about the whole border oh. sense of the uh, immigration. Policy. Oh, um, I believe that uh, they need to um, control. They need to have control on it better, and their pro the the time it takes them to process uh, is is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I believe that. Um, that it should be, um, it should be done pro- properly and correctly. But it's, um, it's, it's 
the, the thing is, that's what the uh, Labour front bench say, a similar thing. And I agree with you, things should be done properly and they should be done swiftly. We should have... But I, Labour I believe, believe anyone I, can... I believe we should have tighter controls on immigration. But the point is, Labour do believe anyone. And groups that support Labour, for example, they launch legal challenges against yeah. asylum seekers who their asylum request has been denied. And the amount of bureaucracy that's created purely because people want to challenge things makes it an extraordinarily slow process. Because the amount of paperwork that has to be filled out, the amount of rigmarole in, in regulation that has to be filled is so ridiculous to deal with illegal migration. And we must remember here, we're not talking about the people who are generally coming through safe and legal routes into the country to claim asylum. It's illegal people trafficked people mm. who pay those on the boats, uh, Albanian, some, some, some are Albanian uh, gangs or other gangs to take them across the channel. And they've come from a safe country, that of France. It's not like they're coming direct from a war zone. They're coming already transiting through a safe country to get to the United Kingdom. And there has been criticism of Suella Braverman's words, saying that they're invaders, and some have likened yeah, it to oh, fascism, which I think is, it's, I think, ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it's totally uncalled for, and what, it's it's a disgrace, for? really, the, the comments by the Conservative, uh, oh, no, I, conservative I, I, MPs. Oh, I, 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 I thought the opposite. Uh, on, on, on the on the term, I was talking about the criticism of Suella Braverman saying, uh, in, in, saying a word used invaders, and the person on Twitter was tweet I saw is a columnist had said uh, that it's, it's akin to fascism, right, or Nazism. I thought that was uh, utterly ridiculous because we're, we're not saying um, as, as such that. So you agree with what Conservative MPs were saying about them? Uh saying, uh, I can't remember what the exact phrasing was, I'd quite like to use that because I don't want to be seen as the... Well, I don't, I don't uh, know which Conservative MP you're, you're referring to. Uh, I can't rem- remember. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, I, I found them now. Uh, backbencher Jonathan Gullis, who has served as the schools minister under Liz Truss, told Channel 4 News on Monday night that there were, no, uh, that there were too many illegal immigrants crossing the English Channel for no reason whatsoever when they already live in a safe country in uh, a safe European country. People are trying to game our immigration system, he added. He claimed there were more, hundred, uh, more than 800 migrants living in his constituency of Stoke-on-Trent. But, but do you not agree with the, 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 the basis of that comment, that they are already transiting through a safe European country, that of France? And then they're choosing to, to cross over the Channel. Well, yes, they're playing a very dangerous game crossing they're, they're not, It's not like the they, they're coming to find asylum in the first safe country. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They're, they're going through multiple countries yeah. in order to try and claim asylum in the UK. Yeah, that, that, is, that is true. That is true, but, yeah. Um, Circling back to Suella Braverman's comments, I don't think she was wrong to use the word invasion. It's it's, it's a very impactful word. It's getting across uh, to very much the meaning of what she wants to say. She wants to say there's an invasion. It's it's almost that they're becoming overwhelmed by the illegal migration issue. And here we're not not disclaiming legal migration routes or uh, safe routes to the United Kingdom. We're not saying they're shouldn't be migration. We're saying there should be stricter controls on stopping illegal migration. Again, it is illegal. And again, we maybe want tighter controls on immigration as a whole. And with the issue of illegal migration and the as- as- asylum costs, as Suella Braverman rightly put, it costs roughly £120, £140 a day 
per illegal migrant to keep them in the country. It's an inordinate cost that the exchequer simply shouldn't be made to bear, should it? Sorry? I, I don't believe it's a cost the exchequer should be made to bear. I think it yeah. is almost, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit much. It, yeah. And I, 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 it, is, it is a large, large problem, but processing takes a while, especially with the amount of regulation and rigmarole we have to follow. Um, and they are part, they are, which I, I think I would agree with uh, Gullis' sentiment, they're already passing straight through a safe European country. Well, we shall move on now uh, to um, the final sort of part of the podcast where Archie talks about plastic money and we'll also quickly talk about um, uh, Matt Hancock and him mm. uh, getting the uh, the whip suspended. Mm. Well, my uh, rant about plastic money is because I recently um, I was given a £50 note. Fifty pound note. I, it's, it's very rare. I, I never, I never have cash. I never carry cash. And don't come to my house trying to rob me for cash, mostly because you won't know where it is. It is in the middle of nowhere. And also, I, I, I place it somewhere in my room, which is probably impossible for me to find again. But anyway, fifty pound note. I held it up and I thought. I sat there for a good half an hour, thinking, how can this be worth fifty pounds? I looked at books and thought, those books worth fifty pounds. That book is worth fifty pounds. How can this note be worth the same value as that object? It just doesn't, to me, make sense. I miss those days of paper money. That tangible aspect is almost sort of laid paper, where you can really feel the money, and it, it feels like something real. But still, I don't believe that has intrinsic value. It has no longer has monetary value. Um, and if you look at, I think it all started when we, if we go back to the. When we got rid of the gold exchange, where you could go into the Bank of England, you could give you a £10 note, where it says on the note, I promise to pay the bearer the amount of £10. You go, you put your £10 note, your £50 note, and they would exchange it for gold, because we had the gold standard, where our currency was backed by something physical. And even after the gold exchange got removed, and you could no longer go and exchange your note for actual bits of gold, and it was still under the gold standard, I still view that as a time where currency had value mm-hmm. because it was backed by something. But now it just floats as a fiat currency on this market. It's floating. And it's a unit, unit of currency exchange, the, the pound. And yes, I can give you five pounds and buy that object over there worth uh, like an apple for five pounds, which is probably an extortionate amount for an apple. And I won't bother to go into the price of milk. I could tell you the price, as Boris Johnson said, of a bottle of champagne. But it doesn't feel real to me anymore we see these numbers on a screen we're so used to these money just being these numbers on a screen we hold our phone up and it suddenly allows us to take back the newspaper from Shoprite. do you use apple pay then at all i do yes Yes. but it just doesn't feel intrinsically real i I like physical objects you see me surrounded here by books if you're in the studio yeah physical objects I I i can see this book it has some sort of worth it has value it's an object but that note is a flimsy little bit of plastic I think one thing with people with Apple Pay is they forget. But you do it's forget. A payment. Yes, like yes. you're just going tapping with your phone at something. So it's not because it's also it's you've just got to you've just got to hold the phone like this. Like you don't but, even but it, if you don't have to have. You just need to two taps of a button. Exactly. And if you if you have face, I think you have to have face ID. Yes. I think you do. But it just scans your face, so you don't actually have to go but, through any but process. It's, but it's not. It's, it's no um, less real, I think, than to me than plastic money. 
plastic money just sits around. It, I, I preferred mm. paper money. Paper money, I felt, was a bit more real than plastic money, but surely it still plastic, had no value. Surely plastic money was... It was a move to plastic money to stop... Uh, uh, what was it called? Um... Fraud. fraud, fraud, counter, <laughs> counterfeits, uh, and also it's cleaner and less easy to, to you know, be dismantled, like you know, broken and. Uh, it doesn't mean rips. I like it more. Because <laughs> you can't actually rip a plastic note, can you? It spoils the fun. Yeah. But you used to have the old Manx notes, which were impossible to burn as well. Were they? Yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes. My mother always tells me f- funny stories of when she'd, you should a party trick on tennis tours. You'd have, you'd have the one pound note, and you say, "I right, you can't even burn it. Hold it a candle, it just wouldn't burn." Um, wow. So yes, the old days of money. But I still, it's almost that intrinsic feeling of I don't, I still don't believe it has a proper worth. It's just a flimsy little bit of paper that allows me to go and buy things, which is great on what on the one hand, but in itself is worthless in another. In another, if we were to currency was just to collapse around the world i wouldn't be holding anything but if i had a silver dollar which was made of silver i had gold i'd still feel it had some sort of worth because it's a physical object and that's my rant about money it sounds like i'm 80 years old and just very interesting well if you've got to this part of the podcast thank you so much for listening uh, i hope you've enjoyed it uh, if you want to listen back to any of our few uh, our previous not future uh podcast you can go to manxradio.com forward slash podcasts forward slash politibabble next week we aim to pick up on the uh, thought problem we were supposed to have that maybe lead us on to cover covering and it does it does actually prove the the, the front cover of this book where we take our thought problems from of animal cruelty because that's what the thought problem is based upon in in a sort of sense and animal rights so um i think we'll also look at that then maybe in our next episode that'd be very interesting Indeed, yes. as our next uh, thought problem is called eating tiddles um so that does conclude um our podcast uh for this week uh we really hope you have enjoyed um thank you Archie again for your great contributions oh thank you Oliver for your extraordinarily wonderful contributions not sarcasm just to be clear there well thank you very much that concludes the podcast you've been Police Babble